Super Talk Mississippi media production. Come see your locally owned and operated Linton Glass for all your glass needs. No matter what glass you need to replace, you can count on Linton Glass. Call us today at 601-835-4336 or find us on the web at lintonglass.com. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone, welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music, kicking off a brand new week here. Rhino, what's up? Howdy, howdy. I trust your weekend was good? Oh, yeah, just not quite long enough. Well, that's always the way, isn't it? But we are here, ready for a busy week. On uh, Super Talk on Middays, we've got Getty Israel, founder and CEO of Sisters in Birth, a population health expert, author, and mother. We'll be on the program at 11.05. We'll be talking about the uh, community project and uh, how that money is allocated and get her thoughts on that. It was a rather eventful weekend, was it not? What all we got here? Kentucky Derby, another mass shooting in the state of Texas, in Allen, Texas, several shootings here in Mississippi. What the heck's going on over the weekend? People out there playing shoot 'em up. I don't get it. And we've got graduations going on. As well, a busy week ahead, the president and four leaders of the Congress scheduled to meet up tomorrow to talk about this debt ceiling because we're rapidly approaching a point where we ain't going to be able to pay the old bills, Uncle Sam. That's not a good thing. We've got economic data scheduled to be released this week, and mainly the CPI, where we stood on that, expected by most economists to come in at around 5%. Investors will be keeping a watchful eye on that. Also, Title 42 coming to an end. Just a few days here. Already a buildup at the border. The president deploying the military to the border, not to protect it, mind you, but to more efficiently process those into the country. In the state of Mississippi, it is election season. It is heating up. We got primaries in August, the general election in November. Lots of focus and attention on that. You're seeing the candidates be quite active around the state, addressing groups, 
making their presence known on social media. It ought to be a fun election season. Plenty for us to talk about, would you say, Rhino? That for sure. Yeah, I don't know if fun would be the word, but uh, entertaining, <laughs> to say the least. Also, I want to give a shout-out to regular listener Neil from McGee. You know what I'm talking about, Rhino? You've seen that on the text line. And arranged for uh, me to have a lunch at his brother-in-law's spot there in McGee after our remote in Collins, about halfway between Collins and the central Mississippi-Jackson area, and did have lunch at Fernando's, owned by his brother-in-law. Great Mexican food there. Really thoroughly enjoyed that. Appreciate that as well, and enjoyed meeting his brother-in-law. Oscar, great food, great service, friendly staff, everything you'd want in a dining experience. So I appreciate that. So uh, what else we got going on here in the state before we get into some of the federal matters there, Rhino? The, what do you know about some of the violence that occurred in the state over the weekend? Uh, well, there have been several shootings on the Gulf Coast. There were uh, reports of street fighting in Jackson downtown, but I haven't seen a whole lot about that. There was the shooting in Laurel, where it was uh, a guy that worked with another man, showed up to work, shot him, and then left. He's been arrested, and now he's been released on bond. I think it was a $750,000 bond. Wow. So, yeah, craziness all over the, the country and in the Magnolia State. Hmm. So what have we learned about this fool that killed eight at a Texas mall? Mauricio Garcia, I believe, is the pronunciation. Had a tactical vest, armed with a rifle and a handgun, according to senior law enforcement official. Said he is, or was, because he was neutralized, I think, which is law enforcement vernacular for was shot and killed by law enforcement. Neutralized, eliminated, another term you see to describe that action. A suspected neo-Nazi sympathizer is what's being reported. Uh, That's what two senior law enforcement Official said yesterday he was killed by a police officer. Just happened to be at the mall, I believe. Heard the shots, went in that direction, armed with a handgun, took out the gunman, had an AR 15, again wearing a tactical vest. 33. I mean, you can get a tactical vest at Walmart. That's yeah. Not really a big deal. What did what did he expect that to accomplish exactly? Yeah, because there's a big difference. Well, the left doesn't understand the difference, but there's a huge difference between a tactical vest and a ballistics vest. Okay. A tactical vest is really a souped-up-looking fishing vest. It has places to put things, store things, stick things, and Velcro things. A ballistics vest is going to have a plate in it that is designed to stop projectiles gotcha hmm interesting well 
Sad to see these uh, incidents, and not really sure what's possessing these people to commit these sorts of heinous crimes, mass shootings. But apparently, this is another situation where it seems like that we could have maybe detected something wrong, something not right in the head with this individual, just based on their social media posting and and uh, indications of how they think, and maybe a bit of a manifesto. Still, we don't have the full release of the manifesto of the Georgia school shooter, right? Tennessee. Tennessee, pardon me, pardon me, Nashville area, pardon me, yep. That's why I kind of roll my eyes at the fact that we know the motive for this guy, but we still don't know the motive for a shooting that happened weeks ago. Yeah, which would seem to indicate maybe they're on opposite ends of the spectrum from a political perspective. Or the people reporting have a narrative they want it to fit into, and if it doesn't fit, they'll just... No, no, never mind. Of and course. It just gets memory hold. Kind of like Hunter Biden situation. Or the shooting in Colorado at the Q nightclub where it was automatically, it had to be a, a right-wing MAGA Republican homophobe, and it come to find out it was a trans dude. I'm going to venture to say that there are sickos that have some sort of violent inclinations inside them on both sides of the political spectrum, if you could call it both. I don't think any particular side has the franchise on sickos, honestly. No. And those on either side who point to the other and say it's all them are either just dumb or just lying intentionally believing they could influence. Well, sad deal. Uh, Not sure what the solution is, but in this case, it seems like that could have seen there's something wrong with this person based on uh, their posting, their commentary, their content, personal content on their personal sites. And to a great extent, Rhino, don't you think these people are starving for attention? You talk about it all the time. And so they're happy to go out and share with the world their sort of personal manifesto. Maybe some, such as the one in Nashville, was a little more private about it. But this fool in Texas wasn't whatsoever. I just feel like there's no diet, no appetite for a conversation surrounding, oh, I don't know, the prevalent use of psychotropic medication or the lack of facilities to put crazy people away for treatment. Yeah, I agree. Instead, you just got a bunch of people doped up and crazy out of their mind walking around on the streets. Sure seems like it. When we come back, we got to talk about some more reparations that look like they have a possibility of going into effect. Coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
We are back in the Element Well Studios. It's middays. Last semester, this is on the ceasefire text line, an opinion was given on why more mass shootings, and a person said one factor was is more automatic weapons in the country. Again, more conflating of data. Yes, we have more firearms, and most of those are semi-automatics. also believe statistically, Rhino, I'd have to check this, but the murder rate in this country is actually down rather sharply. Oh, yeah, it peaked in the 70s. That's what I thought. I mean, it was Wild West there for a while in America's major cities. It's still bad. That's why I have a hard time taking a lot of these people seriously. Like, there was a guy on TV being interviewed about the shooting in Texas that talked about how he was a former Army officer and former law enforcement officer and how this was an automatic weapon. It's like, you were in the Army and you worked in law enforcement and you don't know the difference between semi-automatic and automatic? Yeah, I think it's almost like there's something driving the words besides factual logic. It's like there's an agenda or a narrative. (laughs) Of course, because there is political gain to be had. Because while, yes, in America, you can legally own a fully automatic weapon. You have to jump through umpteen million hoops and pay through the nose. And I'm not even, and even sure. And you, you aren't free to move about the country with it. If you step foot in California with it, you're going to jail. That's true. I'm not even sure how many of these mass shootings, and I can't remember how many deaths or, or individuals shot would have to occur for it to be labeled as a mass shooting. There's a number that I think in law enforcement... See, there's three or four, depending on which organizations put in together the data. Okay. More than two, I think, generally. How many were done by a fully automatic weapon? That's a pretty scant number, if any, right? Las Vegas, maybe? The, um, that was still modified to okay. use the, the bump stock. The That's bump stock. The bump stock became such a hot button topic. That's right. Um, but again, you wonder, even without so-called red flag laws, seems like there would have been a way to filter this person's writings and content and say, I mean, not that I'm in favor of doing so and knocking on the door and locking them up. They hadn't committed any crime. Maybe at least be on the lookout and... I don't know if we have any sort of laws against possession of a weapon if you're mentally unfit to do so. We don't have such tests, right? But most of these people, not most, all of them, they're sick. If you go out and snuff out another life with a firearm, I'd say an innocent life, let me be clear, not in defense, in an offensive fashion. You're sick. You've got a problem. To, to commit homicide like that. Hmm. Also, we had the coronation of the king this past weekend as well. <laughs> 70-something-year-old spoiled brat. Exactly. One of the few videos I saw from the whole thing is him sitting in the gilded carriage <laughs> looking upset. Complaining to somebody in his royal highness's carriage about some tiny, insignificant problem he had. 
Well, all I can say is I already miss his mother. <laughs> he got a long way to go. I couldn't help but laugh, though, when he got to the moment, the crowning of the King of England, and it took a good 15 seconds to fidget and get the crown to sit on his head right. You'd think they'd have planned that. You'd think they'd have had, oh, this is the size of the crown. We're going to practice your royal highness on how to put this on your head so it doesn't look goofy. <laughs> and then you you have the HD camera pointed right at the magical wooden chair made a thousand years ago with the magic stone underneath it that belongs to Scotland, but England gets it back for coronations. And because we finally have HD cameras pointed at a coronation chair... You can see all the graffiti from all the school children in the 17 and 1800s from Westminster, where they carved their names in the coronation chair. Oh, man. He carried around that five-pound crown, by the way, uh, in the scepter, of course. Can't forget the golden orb. That's true. Oh, wow. You know, you'll have to give it to the Brits. It's Of all the monarchies left, they're... Their procedure, their pomp and circumstance is really something. And it's so well orchestrated and incredibly precise. It's got to take a long time to practice all that out, to get it just right like that. There's a lot of participants. And, of course, Which that was scaled down this weekend. It was? Yeah, it was like 2,000 people in attendance, and if you go back to... Queen Elizabeth's coronation, it was like 8,000 in attendance, Jeez. and it lasted three or four times as long. Wow. So the other thing uh, about it uh, is that don't forget that the king also is essentially over the church. Of England. As well, yeah. of England. Yeah. So because it's... Thanks to Henry VIII. That is correct. And somewhere along the way, George III. Was had something to do with that too? I thought it was it was related to that, related to some aspect of it. Was George the Third the first one after Cromwell's Republic? I'm not sure. It's been a minute since I looked at British history. I thought I saw just just in browsing through some of the reports that something goes back to George the Third, which I thought was kind of rich given the founding of this country. Speaking of which, over in California, reparations approved by a panel. You remember us sharing... A state that never allowed slavery (laughs) is making people who never owned slaves pay people who never were slaves for (laughs) slavery. Make it make sense. (laughs) You can't. You remember we shared here on the program months ago that a task force was created to study the matter... And they did for several months and produced a 500-page report, a mere 500 pages. And they came up with a deal. Reparations, they recommend, in the amount of $1.2 million to every qualifying black resident. They had a public meeting in Oakland on Saturday, and they voted on this final set. I noted that there were many members of the public who scheduled some time to address the panel, and they did. 
virtually every single one of them that went to the podium, the mic, to talk to the panel and weigh in on their deliberations, except for two, wanted them to vote affirmatively to, in fact, approve the reparations. Most said, this ain't enough. we got to have more. By the way, this amounts to the paltry sum of $800 billion. Billion. Now, (laughs) the panel in this 500 pages, you say, why do we need 500 pages? It's because they went to great trouble to schedule and recommend payments based on the type of discrimination. For example, if you were affected by so-called redlining by banks, which basically just said banks won't loan money in these literally redlined areas on a map for real estate because it was considered high risk and not a place a bank would be likely to loan money for the purchase of or construction of a home. So if you were discriminated by redlining, you're going to get $3,366 for each year you lived in California from the 30s to the 70s when that practice was prevalent. That would amount to (laughs) $148,000. Seriously. It's not even a down payment on a house in California. If you were there for the whole period. It's 3366 per year. And then if you were a victim of, quote, over-policing and mass incarceration, you're going to get 2352 for each year you lived in California between 1970 and 2020. That could sum up to 115000 So they got into great financial detail in determining. They basically said that the famous 40 acres in a mule promise to former slaves never materialized. Therefore, they got to have this money. It's $800 billion. And they said, don't worry about where it's going to come from. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Just get started. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays, we are in the Element Wealth Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And I'm on the road again this week on Fridays. Friday, pardon me. I'm headed up to Appalachia 
Itawamba Community College in Fulton for the 2023 spring graduation. You'll hear about all the great things going on at ICC. That's Middays, live at Itawamba Community College this Friday. Looking forward to being up there with my friends, Dr. Jay Allen and Tyler Camp, and being at the graduation. I spoke last week about what a blast I had at my alma mater last Wednesday. Ole Miss in the Patterson School of Accountancy, without a doubt, the crown jewel of the university, of course. I think all the programs at the university are are fantastic. And across, uh, honestly, the education, the higher education landscape in our state. It is uh, clearly a huge asset for our state. The Patterson School ranks number one in the SEC and perennially it is a top ten, I might be in the nation. I might be a little biased, but I would say it's number one in the nation. <laughs> Dean Mark Wilder, chair of the the uh, Patterson School of Accountancy, Dr. Mars Stocks, all the faculty, had lunch with those guys. Fantastic group. Really enjoyed it. And then three breakout sessions with the juniors and seniors, small groups, 15 in each. Every single one has a job in hand already at one of the big four firms. Maybe a couple were the exception on the big four. And that's when you're an accounting major. In my day, it was the big eight. There's been consolidation since then. It's big four. That's your goal. Get on with the big four because you know what happens after that? You write your ticket to whatever you want to do. Yeah, you got accounting, nursing, law, engineering, and coding. Those are the five big ones where you're 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 really behind the eight ball if you don't have something lined up before you graduate. No doubt about it. Like a guy I graduated high school with went to Georgia Tech for engineering, and the his junior year he already had a job lined up, had already been given a signing bonus and a new car. No doubt, exactly right. Name those those disciplines again, please. You've got engineering, yep, nursing, yep, law, coding, and accounting. Coding slash IT. Yeah, it's a giant world. But but yeah. So notice what you what you listed there. All things we need. What I didn't hear you say is some sort of nonsense. No Russian literature. Right. No women's studies. Right. Gender studies and stuff like that. What the heck do you do with those degrees? No disrespect to people that have them. You go to think tanks to shake down corporations, or you go back to work in academia to do more brainwashing. I see. And get tenure to do it. Yeah. So, you see, society needs that list of disciplines. The market needs it. They're willing to pay for it. It ain't hard to figure out. But those aren't easy courses of study. They're not easy. Mm -mm. That's the way it works. So the president always says it's time to reward hard work, not wealth. One has to work hard to attain wealth. He doesn't seem to get that. But you know what you work hard at? It's building your value proposition. All of those disciplines... They produce graduates that have a value proposition to society. That's why employers 
are fighting over them. I kid you not. They're contending over these graduates. The sad thing is, none of them staying in the state. But that's because there's only one big four office in the state, and it's not expanding. It's not looking in a mass sort of way. It is, of course, always hiring, but none stayed in the state. And I asked them, will you come back? Will you consider returning? Of course, you got to keep in mind about 60% of the student population is from out of state to start with. So you would, you would be asking them to come back to where they went to school in that respect. Some will. There's no doubt. So the key there is if we had big four firms located in the state, I think that that dynamic would change in terms of those who stay in the state post-graduation. But So how do you get the big four firms here? Well, you've got to have big companies that have lots of knowledge workers that need big four services. It's chicken and egg deal. And I'd like to see our state government and all elected officials to focus on that. This is how we, you talk about the so-called brain drain, this is how you keep people here. This is how you do it. You got to have, we got to have more corporate headquarters, just simple as that. A lot of people may not like the idea of that, and that's fine. But, okay, then we're going to keep producing great graduates that unfortunately don't have a place to work here. And it's not just that particular discipline, it's across the spectrum of those which are useful, let me put it that way. Now, that's not to say they're none. I don't mean to give that impression. There are. But on average, more exiting than stay. And I'd like to see us focus on trying to make a change there. And I applaud those that, that are, that get that and realize that. But And think about this. So many of our state's other issues, such as PERS, for example, which is crushing under its own weight. We don't have enough workers. You want to cut cost, state spending, which typically involves cutting headcount. You need the headcount to fund PERS. That's a tough one there. Same at the federal government level. You want to cut spending, I'm with you. Want to cut expenses? That means cutting headcount. You cut headcount. That puts more pressure elsewhere. It's a tough one. So tomorrow we got these debt ceiling talks. Finally, Biden says, yep, yep, come on over and let's talk about this debt ceiling thing. By the way, we're not cutting any spending. That's off the table. No strings attached. That always makes me want to just ask him, so are you okay with one point? $5 trillion deficits we shared a couple of weeks ago. You remember, Rhino, the CBO has since revised that upward because we're at the six-month mark on a fiscal year basis, and we're already north of a trillion. You can extrapolate for that. Now, we do have more of our revenue is received in the latter half of the year, and so you can't just annualize the first half and say if it's 1.1 in the first six months, it's going to be 22 for the entire year. You can't do that mathematically, but you can look at prior trends in revenue, which is, by the way, declining because the, the economy is cooling off somewhat. But but the CBO, bottom line, is estimates $1.75 I just want to ask the president and Schumer and all these other people, 
You guys okay with this? I mean, you're taking victory laps on a $1.75 trillion deficit. Nearly 30% of the federal budget is deficit spending. You're okay with that? Because that's what you're saying here. We can't talk about that. Oh, my gosh, we, we, uh, we hurt the meals on wheels and the veterans' benefits. It goes down the list of all these things that resonate with people, and they know they do. They use it for political gain, not for practical decision-making. So when you look at what McCarthy has proposed, it really doesn't cut spending per se. It cuts the growth in it limits it to 1.5%, which based on prior trends amounts to about an 18% cut over the next 10 years. Remember, we discussed this before, all of these figures are always expressed in terms of 10 years. Anytime you see, and the, and the Democrats won't tell you that, the Trump tax cuts were $2 trillion. Well, first of all, it's not two trillion. It's one point seven five trillion. Second, that was originally projected. Secondly, that's over ten years. Ten years, not one. And third, that's not what happened. Didn't really cut revenue. So it amounts to an eighteen percent cut of discretionary spending because of mandatory spending, both sides, that's Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, other statutory federal assistance. The federal government has said, oh, we can't touch that. The Democrats said it. The Republicans said, can't touch that. So you're limited to only making adjustments to the 30%. It turns out it's 18%, this 1.5% limit that McCarthy is proposing. When we come back, I'm going to share with you, okay, if we don't touch defense, veterans health, and border security, here's what it means to the rest of government with respect to spending cuts. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios, it's midday. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special So this 500-page uh, report from this task force in California where they approved payment of reparations to black residents, the final report, by the way, scheduled to be released June the 29th, is expected to be a 1,000 pages because it's going to include historical accounts, and they're going to try to quantify some of the losses experienced and incorporate that in the final report. Hmm. So these these figures that are reeled off or suggested at this point, they're not true. With some activists suggesting upwards of $200 million per person. That's correct. At the event, at the task force public meeting, public hearing, 
Why not just make it a billion per person? <laughs> exactly. Heck, let's go crazy. Everybody gets a trillion-dollar platinum coin. Unbelievable. Which that idea came back up again. It sure did. I saw that again. And Janet Yellen is just like, doesn't really know how to address it when she gets asked about it. Shaq Bullion Biloxi says, so once reparations are paid, racism magically disappears? I don't, yeah, I don't think that's the goal. The goal is to compensate. I did see uh, an interview on the streets of New York about, this reminded me of this, about these various DEI initiatives in the public and private sector. And then, and so this interviewer, this investigative reporter, was just on the streets seeking opinion and interviewed a cross-section of white people and black people in the city of New York and asked if they thought this was fair, that a person should be hired, promoted, compensated, accepted into some organization or some program, such as an education institution or, let's say, uh, a graduate program, such as, or, or, or post-graduate sort of studies, such as medical school, law school, etc., on the basis of race, ethnicity, immutable physical characteristics. The vast majority of people said, no, it should be, ba-. even the black folks said, no, it should be based on qualifications, performance. Merit. Sure. I think reasonable people thinking, uh, thinking people, pardon me, would agree, and they did. There was one individual, very articulate, black male, was then, was asked if that was fair. said, yeah, it's fair. should be that way. And that's to atone for the hundreds of years, more than a hundred years, in his view, of of wrongs and oppression, discrimination. This was just catching up, if you will, making up for that time. So then the reporter asked, well, what about more diversity in professional sports? Remember, we played the tape from the University of Florida. It's been a couple of years, probably. Same thing happened. Remember the student's reaction, because there was a question about... Should we sort of redistribute maybe even grades, give preferential treatment to the minorities in school? Yeah, that'd be okay. I'd be fine with that, as long as it didn't hurt me, as I recall. And then the reporter said, well, what about the Florida sports teams? Oh, no, we can't do that. We're bad already. (laughs) So this individual in New York, this is what he said. I mean, I'm still astonished by this. He said, well, you know... The pool of people for employment or working in the private sector, well, that's just different than the pool of people that participate in professional sports. Now, how does that rationalize discrimination? Can you? I see you. your, your gears are churning. I, that's what I did. Like, huh? What's he talking about? The pool of people is the, literally the word pool. The talent pool is different. Okay, but that's okay for sports, but not for employment or other actions in the private sector. You know, 
How many people do you think could do some of these jobs in the private sector? Seriously. You always hear about those dastardly CEOs, for example. Well, how many people do you think are capable of running a massive company? I can tell you this. It's fewer that can hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball three and one, three and ten times. That never gets, I guess, related in that context. We're coming right back after Fox News and Super Talk News with Getty Israel, founder and CEO of Sisters in Birth. Also, Miss Israel is a population health expert, author, and mother. Stay with us. And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays, hour two. Live from the Element Well Studios, we thank you so much for joining us today. Our guest now, Getty Israel, founder and CEO of Sisters in Birth, a population health expert, author, and mother. Getty, good to see you again. You too. So you um, you were pursuing, mm-hmm. help me understand this, a possible grant from the Community Health Project. This is uh, funded through, I believe, the Senate. There's a Senate and a House aspect of this, but from Labor, Health, and Human Services uh, Committee. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, you, you sent me some great information, by the way, about the program itself and about uh, your request for funding mm-hmm. and uh, what you deem to be some of the waste of that money and the way it is allocated to some of the organizations which have received it. This is federal grant money. First, tell us about exactly what the community project is and what sorts of projects are eligible for these grants. Well, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert because I only learned about it last year when I was looking for funding to build uh, the birth center here in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And I came across it on um, Congressman Thompson's website, and it's called the Community Project and Congressional Congressionally Directed Spending. Essentially what it is is it's a very large Christmas gift uh, list. Mm-hmm. that our le- federal legislatures get to give away each year. Now, some people call it pork. I think that's a traditional term, earmarks or whatever. But there, there is very little vetting that takes place. Uh, most nonprofit organizations aren't aware of it. I've spoken to probably 20 different state senators and representatives here who've never heard of it. And so if you're not, I guess, politically connected to our federal senators and legislators, you don't know that this money even exists. What is it for? There are a host of categories from transportation, water, environment. Um, you have to be a nonprofit organization or a government organization, local, state, local, county, or state government organization to apply. Not You cannot be for profit. That's ineligible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the application is very short. There is no formal introduction to the process. 
No one announces it. So most people don't know it even exists. There's no announcement. There's no, there are no town hall meetings or conference calls to make nonprofit organizations, the very small ones like mine, who don't have lobbyists, who are not in the know, aware that this funding is even coming. It comes available every March. The deadline this year for the Senate was March 30th. Last year, I applied through the House, Congressman Thompson. The deadline was in April. And so the application is very short. What they're primarily interested in is your budget. There may have been two or three lines for your mission and your purpose. They didn't ask for a proposal. They didn't ask for evidence-based information. And you're simply filling out a short application that then goes to the committee I'm not the committee, the staffer, the staffers within the legislator's office. And then they apparently look at it and decide whether or not they're going to recommend it to the Committee of Labor, Health and Human Services and Education and all the other committees for funding. Now, here's what I've learned. Once your organization and your project is placed on that list, you get funded. I've talked to the General Accounting Office. I've talked to OIG. For Health and Human Services, I've gone everywhere I could go to learn how this process works because the staffers won't tell you. They don't They don't provide you with anything you can read other than this year I managed to get the guidelines. Last year I got nothing hmm. but an application. So you're really stumbling around in the dark trying to make sure you adhere to the criteria. If you have a lobbyist, the lobbyist can complete it for you. If you don't, it's, but it's a very short form to complete. So I dotted all my I's, crossed all my T's. I sent a documentary last year. This year, I got lots of letters of support from state senators and legislators. This year, I got a letter of support from the health officer for the state, uh, from other heavy hitters like the chairman of Medicaid, Senator Blackwell, and others gave me letters of support. I sent evidence-based information about the efficacy and the money, medical money saving uh, benefits of doing this work, putting this project in place, and I submitted it, and then I heard nothing. Hmm. And then I looked for the list. I said, well, the list should be coming out soon. I'm looking for the list. But I did get an email. This year I got an email from Senator Wicker's office made a mistake. I got an email congratulating me on my work, saying we're happy to recommend you for funding. Then I got a call or that the following Friday, well, the following Friday, I got a call from a staffer saying, oh, well, we went back and forth and, you know, we just we're not comfortable recommending you anymore because you don't have a license to operate. And I said, excuse me, I don't have a license to operate. You are very well aware of the process. You can't get a license to operate a healthcare facility until it exists. It doesn't exist yet. We were trying to get funding to build a new healthcare facility. Okay, so. She knew the process for the state, and I said the guidelines don't require it. The state of Mississippi doesn't require it. So why would you create a problem when one doesn't exist, which is what you're doing? And then she said, oh, well, you also have, we don't want to help you get the money. Roger, we're going to help you get the money. And then you build it, and you can't get a license. I said, really? You know, we have experts here in Mississippi, architects and engineers, who know how to build by code. And so basically, you know what? You're looking for an excuse not to help. And so... I got no explanation from from um, Hyde Smith's office. Um, I got no explanation from Tom, Thomas's office, Thompson's office, and that's the lame explanation I got. And then I looked at the list, and I've been looking at this these lists going back to 2022. And man, you should see the waste on the list. Let me just start by saying this: I identified 13 
nonprofit organizations. Now, your listeners are probably thinking, nonprofit organizations, well, they're small and they're underfunded and they're understaffed. Most of us are. These big organizations that receive the benefit of this funding, who are referred for funding, fiscal year 23, fiscal year, fiscal year 2024, they have on average of $10, $12 million in net, total net assets. Two of these organizations aren't even in Mississippi. They're located in D.C. And we're talking $20 million, $24 million, $16 million, and they're getting one dollars $1.2, $2.4, $1.3 to do what? They're not addressing urgent needs. And also they can go from one senator to the other senator and get approved in the same year. Now, this program wasn't designed for a trough. You know how you feed pigs here in Mississippi? You have a trough. These people are coming back again and again, and they're getting money, and they're getting it within the same year. Some of these organizations, I identified five that have lobbyists. Here's one that has a lobbyist called Reading is Fundamental, located in D.C. They paid their lobbyists $160,000. Guess who they lobbied? This committee. It's a literacy program. So why do you need that much money for a literacy program? And why are you coming back again and again asking for money when you have a total net uh, assets of $20.2 million, according to your 994? All of this information comes from their 990. Canopy Children's Solutions. They have total net assets of over 18, almost $19 million. They have received $19,255,000 from Senator Wicker and Hyde Smith. Kennedy Children's Solutions has a lobbyist. Her name is Susan Sweet, according to their own document. Who have they lobbied? Senator Wicker. What are they lobbying for? Maybe this program. Innovate Mississippi has, uh, has, uh, total net Total net assets of $545,000. That is the lowest. Yet they can afford to pay their secretary $99,500 in an annual salary, according to their 2021-990 form. So these organizations are Community Foundation of North Mississippi, $26.7 million in total net assets, and received $205,000 from this program. Mississippi Toughest Kids Foundation, $7 million, and received $4 million one year and $1.7 million the next year from Hyde Smith and Wicker. It goes on Delta Health Alliance. i got to say Delta Health Alliance. $24.1 million in net assets. They own real estate. They own property. They own a very lux- uh, lucrative clinic. They received 1.2 from Wicker, 1.2 from, from, from uh, Hyde Smith, and this organization has received over $47 million in federal and state support. That's money, according to their 990. Their total operating revenue is $53.6 million. The CEO pays herself $471,000. Every one of their directors have salaries averaging over $100,000. Why do they need money, taxpayer money, to do anything? So is your contention that these organizations really don't provide any value? Is I'm not saying, saying they don't provide value. I'm saying that these organizations don't need the assistance of the federal government to do this work. I'm saying that they're eating at a trough, and I'm saying that this Christmas list is, list is pretty much set aside for organizations that may have the tax structure of a nonprofit, but they don't need the support 
that most nonprofit organizations need, like my organization, which struggles to keep our doors open and provides direct services to poor people. That's what I'm saying. we got a break right here. You can hang around with us, can't you? Oh, yes, We'll I talk can. about uh, this more on the other side of the break. We're in the Element Well Studios. It's Getty Israel, founder and CEO of Sisters in Birth. With Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Let's do everyone middays getty israel founder and ceo of sisters in birth our guest in the element well studios so i'll, I'll ask this we talked about this off mm-hmm. the air i'll ask this uh, so you can share it with the audience mm-hmm. is your contention that these organizations really aren't providing value to society or is it that they just don't need the money to discharge their mission What I'm saying is these 13 organizations that I've identified in this Excel sheet, Mm -hmm. according to their total net assets on their 990 forms, do not need this level of of assistance, financial assistance from the people. This is taxpayer money that our legislators are freely giving to these organizations, even though they are well endowed. That's what I'm saying. Okay. I'm not saying they're not providing a valuable service. It's not for me to judge that. It's for the society will judge that. I'm saying that other small non most nonprofit organizations are small and they struggle to provide good services. They're throughout Mississippi. I'm willing to bet you that most of them have not heard of this funding. I've managed to find three, only three that had uh, net assets under a hundred thousand dollars that received funding, and the funding they received was very meager. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that if you have a large, a large, uh, um, largesse. If you have not largesse, if you have a large budget, thirteen million triple A ambulance services, thirteen million dollars. Why would they need to go to the federal government and get two point seven four to buy equipment? Come on, man! Because these, they can. Because they can. Okay. Well, this the same could be said for your organization. No, no, it? my organization cannot. Why Because not? what I'm saying to you is there is waste. I'm saying that there is favoritism. I'm saying that there are lobbyists involved. I'm saying that. Well, it, sure. I'm saying it's rigged. That's what Have I'm saying. Have you thought about hiring a lobbyist? A small nonprofit organization cannot hire a lobbyist. I cannot afford was, a lobbyist. So the community project funding last year, by the way, was three hundred and sixty million. For for twenty twenty two, nine point two billion dollars was awarded across this country for for the community project. For Mississippi, I'm not sure, but I will say this: Mississippi received between, I think, three twenty million, between three hundred twenty million and three hundred thirty million dollars. Okay, so I, I think that's all congressionally directed spending, it of is. which this is part of that. It right. is, yeah, it is. okay. 
So uh, what would you say to those in society that would say the government should get out of this business totally and not spend this money? Well, you know what? The government's not going to be equitable. If you're not going to be fair, then yes, get out. But if you're going to use taxpayer money to help address community needs, and there are a lot of community needs, cities and towns and small municipalities have needs, state-owned or state universities, Mississippi State, UMMC, they have huge needs. To the tune of $140 million is what medical facilities received. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what? Which for, is an eligible grant for, under the program. Yes, for, for renovations. Mm-hmm. Uh, those same health care facilities received, what, over $80 million this year from the state legislature for similar purposes. So what I'm saying is, these while these organizations provide good services, there are small struggling nonprofit organizations that cannot compete for this money. If you don't know someone, if you're not politically connected, many of the CEOs of these organizations know our legislators personally, or they know their staffers. They can get them on the phone, or they have a lobbyist. And this, this is just politics as usual. But this money is supposed to be set aside for organizations that are doing community work and that need the help. These organizations don't need the help. But but let's not confuse it, right, Getty? Because this is federal money, it's federal and so money. No, knowing state legislators doesn't really ha- help you. I'm not talking about state. I'm well, talking about I heard about you federal. say legislators. Okay. Well, they are legislators. About, okay. Right. Federal okay. legislators. I just want to make sure that's what. So, mm-hmm. um, we have six in Congress, two in the Senate, mm-hmm. four in the House. Mm-hmm. You've made formal requests. Up three of them. Up three of them. The two senators. Actually, four. Okay. Who else did you request? Uh, guests. But Congressman the, Guest. But okay. the guidelines for guests did not cover health care facilities. You mean for the committees he serves on? Is that what you're saying? Well, see, last, okay. I'm not sure why you, because it would have to go to a total vote as well in, in both chambers. First, so. first of all, it, you have to get your project's name on the list. Right. If the legislature that goes to those committees that goes to those committees, right. and, and I asked this question of GAO, mm-hmm. what percentage of referred or requested community projects don't get funded? They couldn't <laughs> answer. You want to know why? Because they all get funded. Once your you're project, on the list, you get funded. You get funded. So the, the the more appropriate question, I guess, is how many don't make it to the list? How many? Oh, good question. Yeah. How many don't make it to the list? And what you're saying is your your organization, your request doesn't make it to doesn't the list. Doesn't make it to the list. Why it, is that? You sent me the emails, and it looks like at first there was some support for it. That and then was what a you commitment. said is it came back mm-hmm. and said, well, we're worried about you getting uh, a license. A license. Okay. So then I asked you this uh off the air, certificate I believe. Of need. A certificate of need. I don't need one. You don't need one. Don't need okay. one. Didn't they didn't ask that question though? Well, and that's probably the hardest hurdle of all. I know, but we don't need one. And here's the other thing: if you have a concern about the application, you have an opportunity to reach out to the applicant and say, "Hey, we we have some concerns here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this. Your application has this, and blah. so in order for us to help you, you need to go back and do whatever or whatever that process looks. That doesn't happen. So, do you have an opinion, Getty, as to why our delegation in Washington is yes, not supporting? Yes, I have an opinion. Okay. I don't have a lobbyist, and I don't have those relationships, and I am not well. My organization is not well known, as these others are. I'm, I'm not well. My organization is not well endowed. We know that money speaks in this society, and I don't have the money to speak that loudly. I don't have those relationships, so I cannot influence what these people do. Okay, and here's the other thing: Cindy Highsmith and Wicker claim to be pro-life senators. Ben Thompson doesn't claim to be anything. 
Most of the disparities are occurring in his front yard and his backyard and on both sides of his homes. He should be. But they do on record. And yet you didn't they didn't give one dime to my project. And I serve pregnant women. Talk, talk about your project. Good. The project is to fund Mississippi's first freestanding birth center. All right. So that nurse midwives will have the opportunity to provide all the care that they currently provide. But in addition to that, they can deliver the babies. Now, I've worked since 2020 with the state of Mississippi to change regulations to make it more conducive to doing something like that here. Women in Mississippi want access to midwives. And in order for me to give them access to the full scope of services, I got to build a freestanding birth center, which does not exist in Mississippi, in order for them to do their work. If women want this, why don't we give it to them? Why won't our legislature or our delegation support mm-hmm. something as simple as giving women a choice for birth, for prenatal care? So is this like, would this be considered an alternative to the yes. traditional yes. Uh, birthing yep. at a hospital? Actually, midwifery is really our tradition. Prior to 1950, uh, 90, particularly among black women, 90% of black babies were delivered by a midwife. So we have a rich, rich tradition of midwifery in Mississippi. And that also include white women, too. And I get phone calls every day throughout the day from women looking for a midwife. Okay, so besides the alternative, what specific problems does this solve? We, we can significantly reduce C-sections. We talked about C-sections the last time we were yeah. on the show, unnecessary yeah. medical inductions, providing women with more time. Midwives spend on average of 30 minutes or more with their patients. Their, their approach is more holistic. There's more education. There's more support. It's, 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 it's less, I mean, they are less likely to use medical interventions. They have a higher rate of full-term births. They have a higher rate of vaginally, vaginal birth. They have a higher rate of breastfeeding. Women are more satisfied with the midwifery experience. It works all the way around. It's safe and it saves us money. So why don't we support it? The Mississippi Department of Health supports it. Dr. Edney does. Hmm. And have you shared that piece of information with our Washington delegation? I got delegation a letter of Dr. support Edney? from him. Okay. But and I sent it to both of them. Didn't make a difference. What's your next step? I'm raising money privately from outside the state of Mississippi because it seems clear to me that our leaders, I've gone to the state uh, Senator Butler and Blackwell and some others have tried to secure funds for me on more than one occasion. And each time the bill dies in committee, uh, the pro-life senator from Vicksburg, for some reason, from Warren County, won't support it. And um, so we've tried to raise money from corporations. We've tried to raise money from foundations. We're, we Now we're going outside the state of Mississippi from private funders to get the money. Have you thought about getting your, your organization eligible uh, for the state income tax credits that are available for like CPCs? I tried. I couldn't get approved because for whatever reason, even though we don't provide abortion services, we couldn't qualify. Believe me, I went all the way to the Attorney General's Well, Center office. for Pregnancy Choices centers, of course, provide alternatives and support for in, in lieu of for pregnant I, women. I understand that. I could not, we could not get approved because we are not considered a pro-life organization. There's some of them listening to us today that maybe could take that up. So, But I appreciate you coming in. I appreciate explaining. you listening. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Stay with us.
with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, we are back in the Element Wealth Studios. It's middays. That, my friends, was a fascinating interview with Miss Israel. And that's the third time she's been on this program that I've had uh, the pleasure of interviewing her. Whether you agree with her stance or not, she's clearly dedicated. She's done her homework. She's very passionate about what she does. And what comes through all that to me is that she cares. You you come away with the same feeling? Oh, yeah. Rhino? I mean, I don't think anybody could listen to her talk about her work and not feel that she is passionate about her work. Absolutely. Personally, I would like to see her stand in the well at the state capitol and address our legislators. Not necessary to necessarily to appeal to them for anything, although that would be part of her, her remarks, but just to convey to them. We all need it, honestly. This is what it's like at the ground level, because we don't deal with that. Few of us do. We don't know. And she and her staff do on a daily basis. And I think a lot of what's going on is is uh, in her world is just not well known. Would you agree? I, I just don't think that we, we generally just don't encounter. We're not exposed to this sort of stuff. And all I'm saying is it would be of value, in my view, for her just to educate our legislature just as input to their lawmaking process, to their decision-making process, as it relates to this issue, which is an expensive one in our state. That's the issue, is that it's expensive. It costs money. When there are problematic pregnancies, as you know, that result in problematic births, cost a lot of money. Good news is technology's advanced astronomically over the last couple of decades in this area to address the, the various health issues that crop up during pregnancy and at birth. And so medical science is way better, way more advanced now, which is the good news. Uh, to have a successful birth, and then even in the situation where the baby's not born totally healthy, to nurse them back to full health, much of which could be prevented with proper prenatal care. She talked about that before, as you recall, Rhino, when she came on the program, and she, she even discussed, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I think I'm accurately refre- reflecting her position when she said, that those who are on Medicaid because they are eligible 
as as a, as a, a pregnant expecting mother. That's one of the coverage groups, of course, if your income is below a certain level. And I remember talking to her about the problematic pregnancies, most of which are self-inflicted. They're because of failure to adhere to good health practices before one gets pregnant and certainly after they're pregnant. And if they just did that, it could dramatically reduce the problems and, by definition, the costs. And remember what she said, Rhino? You know, if we give them the plan and they don't adhere to them, we ought to cut them off Medicaid. Is that the way you remember? Oh, yeah. That's what she said. Because you remember our text line lit up. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, and it's not just pregnant mothers, expectant mothers, I should say, as, you, as you're aware. There are a lot of folks. It's a frustrating situation in the medical community. Well, yeah, if you would just follow the doctor's orders here with respect to your medicine and, and other just habits, we would eliminate a lot of your health problems. It would cost you and society a whole lot less money, and they just won't do it. It's, you've seen that, I know, in your, your career there, right? You just won't do oh, yeah. it. And it's frustrating. I, I'm friends with lots of doctors, and they'll talk about it privately. It's just frustrating. But, yeah, you come back in, but have you been doing what we asked you to do? Well, no, but you're still going to take care of me, right? Man, oh, man. I think at least part of it has to do with, as a society, we had the promise for at least a couple generations in the middle of the century that medicine would progress to the point where there would be a pill for everything. There would be a cure-all. And medicine hasn't advanced to the point where there's a pill for everything. That's now, true. the pharmaceutical industry would like you to believe that there's a <laughs> pill for everything, but it's not as simple as that. On the ceasefire tax line, lots pouring in. Go through some of them. Paula Meridian says, seems like this lady has done her due diligence. Jack and Jack down. Big props for this interview. Zach and Oxford. I think she's absolutely right and spot on. Larry and Jackson, you start barking when Wicker and Hyde Smith are mentioned. Not sure what that means exactly. Ben from Madison, fascinating interview. I really enjoyed listening. Mailman Clayton, can you give me a physical address so I can send money? I can, in fact, pass on the physical address of Sisters in Birth. I'm sure that would get into the correct channels uh her name for proper spelling is g-e-t-t-y getty that's exactly how it is pronounced israel just like the nation i-s-r-a-e-l getty israel 405 briarwood drive suite 303 jackson mississippi 39206 look it up folks sisters in birth there's an easier way if you were if you feel compelled to donate to her cause there's an easier way to donate you just go to sibirth.org. That's their website. At the top of the website, there's a little button from the top right. There the you yellow go. yellow button says donate. Sure is. Thank you, Rhino. Also, she did share with me that her services are reimbursable under insurance. She shared with that off the air. Somebody asked that question. I apologize we didn't get to that during the interview, but that's correct. Miss Israel, wow, she's good. Heard her before on your show. Impressed. And... 
I will say this, folks, that Miss Israel contacted us about coming on the program. I think she'd be okay. I'm talking about today. And I will say I'm honored because I think it's fair to say, right, oh, the first time she came, you, you could detect a little friction, maybe, a little concern, a little tension. That's fine. And I'd like to think that when we uh, conducted the interview that it was uh, acceptable and pleasing to her, and I, I felt like that the tension um, somewhat subsided. And the fact that she has to come back on and be on the program, I, I consider it an honor, honestly. Because when you, you can have a conversation with someone like that, that may see you as a as a foe. And then after you sit down and just have an open, frank, respectful discussion, which is the way they always ought to be, that um, you can have productive exchange, society benefits when that happens. So maybe in some small way we're able to move the needle, and that'd be great. Um, and then it's back to the the old classic question of, to what extent should government be involved in this, right? All these various organizations that receive all this taxpayer money, federal taxpayer money, is this appropriate role of government? We, t- we discuss that all the time. Especially, It's especially important when you can consider we're 24 hours away or less of the highest levels of our government discussing what to do about this debt ceiling, which comes down to Kevin McCarthy and House Republicans wanting to rein in spending. And the Democrats say, no, we can't do that. Appreciate all the feedback. So hopefully that helps. Mailman Clayton, that um, website again, Rhino? Uh, let me reopen it. It's sibirth.org. Real simple. S-I-B-I-R-T-H dot org. Sisters in birth. This last lady was probably the most articulate, at least in top three guests you've had on the show. Had her research and could state her case clearly. I totally agree. And you know... Rhino, this is something that we're going to talk more about because it's campaign season. I'm not really interested from all the candidates of hearing these abstract red meat platitudes. You agree with me? I want to hear specifics. How are you going to fix these problems? Don't just give me the red meat stuff. I just yawn when I hear that, honestly. Somebody said earlier, how come nobody will talk about what to do about PERS? Um, specifically, I think, uh, referred that to the race for lieutenant governor. Well, it's because it's a hard issue that there's no political winning strategy for, honestly, guys. Nobody wants to hear what you really got to do to shore it up. Same thing with Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Social Security, Medicare, not Medicaid. Pardon me. Exclude those. Same thing. Uh, Even Donald Trump says, can't touch that. Okay, well, then... We don't have much else to touch to rein in spending and balance the budget. Coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Indiegogo. There you go. What a crazy, just like nonsensical video there is to that, by the way, back in the days, the early days of music videos. That's probably, what, a 1982-3 tune or so? Not too long after music video was a thing and MTV was uh, created. So, yeah, this is a fascinating issue, no doubt about it. And I'm, I'm uh, really a little surprised at the number of comments. I'm not surprised at the nature of them, but the number. But that means a lot of folks uh, were tuned in and heard and liked what they said. Robert and Brandon, what she said, certainly. Robert and Brandon says, we conservatives who've opposed abortion should support organizations such as this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure that, you know, who she serves are necessarily like the Center for um, Pregnancy Center type um, organizations do. This is, I don't know if it's the same sort of scenario where there's, well, thinking about having an abortion, but I'm, I'm going to seek some counsel for it in which case the CPCs work with them on alternatives and save lives in that respect, unborn babies. I think this is more about the impression I get, at least. I haven't asked her this question directly, so it's just an impression I have, an observation. These are women who intend to have their babies. They just are searching for a different approach, and they need some help while they're pregnant, um, and, and then the, the ultimate delivery as well, because we were going through the uh, the services on their website, and, and right at the top there, pregnant. Now what? Do you want to have a pleasant pregnancy experience? Cover control, pardon me, over your birth experience. A provider who listens and respects you. Doula support during labor and delivery. A full-term vaginal childbirth breastfeeding and postpartum support in your home. Those are the services that Sisters in Birth provides. And in fact, they have a registered slogan, Our it's a registered trademark slogan, Our Bodies, Our Births. Interesting. But I agree with you, Robert. Would like to see Miss Israel take on the insane out-of-wedlock birth rate in Mississippi. Thinks she could make a difference, says Gary in the Berg. It's an insane statistic nationwide. It, it is particularly problematic, as Gary points out, regularly in Mississippi. Last I checked, we're still at the top of the list. I did see we are no longer the most obese state in the recent measurements. So we're number fourth now. So a little bit of uh, improvement there. Of course, we've got um, one of our left-wing listeners who says, we don't have any problems in Mississippi now that Republicans run every facet of the state government. Well, I could make the same case for what the president and the Democrats in Washington are saying as well there, that we don't have any problems. There's no border problem. There's no crime. There's no inflation. There's no economic concerns. There's there's no infringement on your freedom. You see now that it's the EPA wants to completely return the appliance, the appliance industry back about 50 years, best I can tell. That's what appliance spokespeople 
are saying, based on a new set of rules they're looking to implement. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but your dishwasher would not be able to use as much water. Your washing machines would take a step back about 50 years, would no longer have an agitator in them, would draw less less power, less water. They even want to change toothbrush chargers. You've seen this in the toothbrushes, not to be as, as powerful with their uh, their oscillation movements. Oh, yeah. It's always doing with less, like we've said so many times. You've got to just do with less. That's the only chance we can we can hope for that the, that the planet survives. you just got to deal with less, right, to the person on the ceasefire tax line? You happy about that? Just deal with less. Get over it and deal with less. I'm telling you, next up, no hot water. No hot water. Just got to get rid of that. No air conditioning. I think somebody's already proposed that, if I'm not mistaken. You just The comforts that society and the private sector have created to vastly improve the quality of life, not to mention how much more productive that's made society and thus wealthy. Forget about that. We're going to just turn the clock back on all that and go back 80, 100 years. We might as well just eliminate all this health care so people will die in a hurry and won't consume the resources of the planet. I don't want to give them any ideas, but you know they're thinking about that. It's unbelievable how leftists think in this country. Unbelievable. And people wonder why I call them worthless. <laughs> We're out of time here today. It's Mondays. That means Super Talk Outdoors is up next with Ricky Matthews. We appreciate you joining us. We'll talk a whole lot more about all this tomorrow from the Element Well Studios. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.